your Bibles, take them in your hands or dial them up or whatever it is, however format you are using this morning, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 13. We have been for many months now in this series, uh, uh, the, a, a focus upon the book of Mark, where we are paying particular attention to the life and the ministry and the teachings and the miracles and the works of Jesus as they are recorded in the Gospel of Mark. We've been here again for some months. We've seen a great deal. I've learned so much, and I trust you have as well. What we're about to read, and we're going to read a significant portion this morning, what we're about to read here from Mark chapter 13 happened on a Tuesday afternoon. It happened, we know, we know, on a Tuesday afternoon. Now, two days before this, on Sunday, Jesus had entered Jerusalem with people who were cheering. We, we call it sometimes the triumphal entry. We celebrate it sometimes on Palm Sunday. Jesus, along with his disciples, came into Jerusalem, and it says multitudes of people were cheering, and they're getting all excited because Jesus, who they perceive to be a king, certainly, but their, their savior in a, in a more uh, civil sense, in a political sense, they're expecting him to set up his kingdom. And so they're acclaiming him and cheering him on that Sunday. The next day, on Monday, the Bible tells us here in the book of Mark that Jesus both cursed a fig tree that was barren and he also cleared the temple of people who were misusing it. It was quite a day. Earlier on this Tuesday, what we're about to read happened late on Tuesday. Uh, earlier on this Tuesday, Jesus had been asked several questions by people who wanted to frame him. People who were asking Jesus, hoping that he would say words that would implicate him, that would frame him, that they could then use against him. Then, uh, as he left the temple, Jesus observed and commented on the hearts of people as they gave offerings. That wonderful story of Jesus observing this woman who gave two coins, the last two coins that she had, and others who gave a great deal, but Jesus said she gave from her heart, she gave all that she had. All of that happened on this Tuesday. By the way, two days after this Tuesday, Jesus will be betrayed and arrested. Three days after this day, Jesus will be crucified. And five days after this day, Jesus will rise from the dead, the very first resurrection Sunday. So it was an amazing week. This week here, we sometimes refer to it as Passion Week. This was an amazing week where there is so much happening in the life of Jesus. And it's really a culmination of things that have been planning for not just 30 years or 33 years, but that have been, that have been planned for millennia. It's the most extraordinary week ever. But here... On this Tuesday afternoon, Jesus was asked a question. Now, this time, ask a question not by, not by people who are trying to frame him, but he was asked a question by uh, his disciples. 
I, I want to read this morning what was asked and how he answered. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating text. And so, uh, again, Mark chapter 13, and we're going to read the entire chapter. It's going to take about three minutes and 40 seconds, and here it is. As he was leaving the temple, some of you are checking your watches right now. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great stone, uh, th- these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and you will be flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what you are to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard, Jesus said. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you ought you, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see the things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when That time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether 
in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, Jesus said, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. 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 You, you have to understand the disciples knew that something big was ahead. They had been walking with Jesus for about three years. And in that time, Jesus was, had very clearly stated, though they didn't understand it in its full context, Jesus had stated that he was going to set up his kingdom. Jesus had said for some time, actually for some weeks ahead of time, he had been saying, when we get to Jerusalem, these things are going to happen. They knew something big was upon them. They knew that there was something significant ahead. On their way out of the temple that day, one of the disciples, we don't know which one, said, boy, aren't these magnificent buildings? You have to understand something about the temple. Now, just a little a word of explanation. There is only one temple in the Jewish faith. There is only one temple in all of the Jewish area. There are many synagogues. There's a synagogue in almost any community of any size, but there's only one temple. It's in Jerusalem. It's on the very site where where. Abraham, many years before, 2,000 years before, had almost sacrificed his son Isaac under God's direction, and then God spared him. It was on this same site. The temple had initially been built many years before by Solomon, had been prepared by David. It had been torn down, destroyed a couple of times, but now in recent times, about 50 years before this, uh, the puppet king named Herod, in, in an effort to maybe placate and, and please the people, he began to rebuild the temple, and he rebuilt it in grand fashion. I mean, really, no details were spared and no expense was spared, and for 50 years, this temple had been rebuilt. It's a sizable area. It's over 35 acres is the entire temple complex. It's enormous. That's like, you know, 30-some football fields put together. It is a sizable area. And it says here that they were, they were sitting on a hilltop, a hilltop uh, uh, which was actually on the Mount of Olives, and they're looking west. They're at a little bit of a raised elevation, so they have a great vantage point to see the temple area. And it's beautiful. It's late in the day, so perhaps the sun is setting. They're seeing it. The colors are great. And the disciples are, are wanting to know the when and the where of their future. And that's important. They wanted to know the when and the where of their future. Because remember, they've been following Jesus for some time. They're thinking he's going to set up his kingdom. And like many of the people, they're thinking more of a political sense. Jesus knows that his kingdom is going to be far beyond anything that you could touch or feel or you know, gather at a certain place. But they're looking at this temple. And the disciples are thinking, you know, we're going to be players in what's about to happen. Jesus is going to set up his kingdom and, and we, are, we are going, this whole city, they have a great vantage point, this whole city, we're going to be important players in this. And so they want to know when it's all going to happen. They want to know the when and the, the what of their future. In verse 4, they ask this question, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Do you see the when and the what? When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to happen or about to be fulfilled? So in the verses that we just read, in the three minutes and roughly 40 seconds that it took to read that, Jesus answered their question. Jesus told them. He spoke of the future. 
He spoke of their future, and also he spoke of our future. I don't know that they realized that, in fact, I'm quite confident they did not realize that Jesus was also speaking to people in the 21st century, but he was. He was speaking in, to people in the first century, but he was also talking about people in our century. In fact, what Jesus said that day, as they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking west towards the temple, towards the Temple Mount and this beautiful edifice that's there, as they're looking at it, Jesus was speaking things for every person who followed him from that time to this time. From that time to this time, the things that Jesus said related to every follower of Jesus Christ from that time to this time. Let me explain. In verses 5 and 6, Jesus said there would be deceivers in their future. And in every generation from that time to this time, there have been people who, who claimed to be him and people who claimed to speak for him. In every generation from their time to our time, there have been people who have tried to deceive even those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus warned, one of the reasons that he said this was to watch out for them. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus said that ahead of them, there were going to be some enormous troubles in society. He said there are going to be wars and there are going to be rumors, or one translation says threats of war. And that certainly relates to every time between then and now. Jesus said there were going to be great troubles in nature. He said there are going to be earthquakes, there are going to be famines, and then in verses 9 through 25 that we just read, verses 9 through 25 is actually the largest section in the entire chapter. In verses 9 through 25, Jesus warned about the troubles that would come to God's people. Let me say that again. He warned them, them and us and every person in between, he warned them about the troubles that were going to be experienced by followers of Jesus Christ. Essentially, he's saying this, if you are one of my followers, get ready, you're going to experience some of these things. In some cases, some people will experience all of them. Jesus warned them of the troubles that were going to come. He talked about arrests. He talked about beatings. He talked about hatred and betrayal and distress and deception. Now, again, remember the context here. They're sitting on the Mount of Olives. I mean, some amazing things have just happened in the previous couple of days. Jesus has said and done some things that are just astounding. These disciples are excited, so they simply, they're sitting here in this peaceful place, looking across at this peaceful setting, and they're saying, When's it all going to happen? What, what can we wait for? What can we, what can we anticipate? And then Jesus unloads all of this toward. Wouldn't it be fun to see the expression on their faces when they're hearing this? It was a very simple question. When is it going to happen and what can we look for? And all of a sudden, Jesus, who sees everything, gives them the whole load. And they're thinking, in just a short time, we're going to be major players and they're hearing about hatred, and death, and beatings, and arrest, and earthquakes, and famines. They're hearing about all these horrible things. They're hearing about things that are beyond what they can understand at the moment, and they're hearing all of this. Now, here's the thing. Much of what Jesus said would happen did happen within just a few decades of that time. Remember Jesus' perspective. Now, I'm not talking his perspective on the Mount of Olives. Remember Jesus' perspective on all of time. 
Jesus is speaking of things that are going to happen in the next few months and years. He's also talking about things that are going to be hundreds of years in the future. But within a very short time, much of what Jesus said would happen, in fact, did happen. The gospel was preached. That actually happened about 55 days following, 53 days following. When Peter, on the steps, on the southern steps of that, of that same temple complex, proclaimed to a group of thousands salvation in Jesus Christ, that was fulfilled just a few weeks after this. Within a few decades, this same temple was destroyed. It was absolutely leveled. Not one stone standing on another. Christians were arrested and beaten and put to death within just a very relatively short time. One of those who was, who was sitting there, James, he was one of the fishermen, one of the disciples, uh, brother of John, he's one of the four that are sitting there. He was, he was going to be the first one martyred. He would be the first one put to death. In fact, all of those would be put to death with, with the exception of John who was sitting there. There were famines and there were earthquakes. Wars were started, others war, other wars were threatened. It's all a part of the historic record. We know that much of what Jesus said would happen happened within the first few decades. In fact, from that time to this time, every century has included many of these things. That's very important for you to understand. Much of what Jesus said every century through, through the last 2,000 years of history, you can just grab one century or even one period of 50 years, and many of the things that Jesus said would happen happened within even that segment of time. And yet some of what Jesus said is yet to happen. Some of the things that Jesus spoke of are still ahead of us. They have not happened. People thought they were going to happen. People even predicted that they were going to happen. But some of what Jesus spoke of has not yet happened. The most important thing is in verse 26, where Jesus began to speak of his return, where he began to speak of how he was going to come back for his people. Now, now, here's the thing, and I'm going to say a bit more about this in a moment, but let me tell you something. Of all of the things that Jesus spoke about that day, the best is still to come. Yeah, the best is still to come. The best part of it, the best part of all of this, perhaps other than, other than preaching the gospel, is that Jesus is going to come back. When that happens, we do not know. Let me say that again. When that happens, we do not know. That's very important. We do not know when Jesus is going to return. That is not the theme to this, these, this chapter. That is not the theme to Jesus' statements. But there is a recurring theme in what Jesus said. Maybe you noticed it as we read this chapter. It's a repeated warning to stay alert. That's very important. It's a repeated warning to stay alert. Look in verse 5. It says, Jesus said, watch out. <laughs> watch out. In verse 9, Jesus said, be on your guard. In verse 13, Jesus said, stand firm. In verse 23, he again said, be on your guard. In verse 33, again, be on your guard. And then he also added, be alert. In verse 35, Jesus said, keep watch. And in verse 37, his final word was, with an exclamation point, watch. 
Isn't that an interesting theme that runs from the very beginning right up to the very last word? This whole, this whole massive teaching, this enormous answer to a very short question, a recurring theme that we see throughout all of this is to be ready. That is the theme. The theme is not when it would happen, but how we are to be found living when it happens. Let me say that again. The theme is not when it will happen, but how we are to be found living when it happens. He told his followers that sitting on that hillside on the Mount of Olives facing the the city and the, the temple there in Jerusalem, he told his followers then, and he's telling his followers today that we are to stay alert, we are to keep watching, we are to keep looking for him until he returns. Because listen, one day all of these things will happen just as Jesus said. I can absolutely stand here with full conviction and with everything in me, not based upon my words but on his, that everything Jesus said would happen, will happen. Every bit of it. I don't know when, but I know that it will. Now, uh, as I mentioned, in verse 26, starting in verse 26, Jesus began to talk about his, his return. And, and I have found that whenever we start talking or often when, when we reference the return of Jesus Christ, when we talk about his return, um, sometimes that unsettles and disturbs people. Uh, it can be very unsettling and disturbing. The fact that Jesus could come at any moment uh, can cause some people to fear. It, it can cause, uh, bring a certain amount of dread to people. Uh, I, I think I have shared this before. Often when I was young, I, I didn't want to hear about Jesus' return. I, I did not want to hear about Jesus' return. Um, whenever it was spoken of in church, I, I just kind of shut down. I didn't want to hear it. And by the way, and I'm not exaggerating on this, it seems about every seventh or eighth sermon that was preached back then was about Jesus' return. And part of it was what was happening in society at that time. I'm, I'm a product of the 1970s, and in the 1970s, particularly in the mid-1970s, when I you know, started paying attention and was aware of what was going on, there were a lot of things that were happening. Uh, Jerusalem had just been fully occupied by the nation of Israel you know, 20 years before, 25 years before, uh, some year, the, the nation of Israel had been, the modern nation of Israel had been formed for the first time in 2,000 years. There were a lot of wars happening and rumors of wars happening and, and, and a lot of things happening within our own nation, a lot of scandal, a lot of upheaval. It was, it was a very difficult time. I don't know if that was a part of it. There were just a lot of people that were saying, you know, the, the nation of Israel has been formed and now within a generation we know that this is going to happen. And so we heard that a great deal. I heard a lot of times, I remember one time, uh, I, uh, the church that I grew up in really only had just two sections, and they were about half of the size of each of these sections, and I remember in 1974, uh, it, was, it was New Year's Eve, 1974, and, and there was a gentleman who stood up here, and he, and he said, I, I believe that this year, we'll never see the end of this year, that God is going to, Jesus is going to return this year, and, and here's what I thought, I am never going to get my driver's license, that's what I thought, I'm sitting back here. I thought, I'm never going to get my driver's license. 
And it was like, oh, I don't want to hear that. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't just because I, I wasn't going to get to do certain things, but I, I, also, uh, I also, there were some things in my own life. I remember going to camp. It was maybe the summer before that or the summer after that, and, and there was a teacher. I may have shared this story before, but there was a teacher there. She was about 75, and when you're, you know, when you're 12 years old or something, 75 is just like, that's just really, really old, and and, you know, uh, and, and she, she said, she told us, she said, God told me that uh, I, I am I'm going to live to see his return. She says, I'm going, to, I'm going to see the last days. And I'm thinking, great. Well, there's no hope for me. Then I'm just never going to be an adult. I'm, uh, Jesus is going to be, because she's got, she doesn't have much longer to live. I mean, you know, at 75, you, you're thinking she's got one foot in the grave. Well, here's the problem. That woman didn't, didn't realize is she... she she, she, she was thinking her last days were the last days, and they weren't. They're, they're different. Either that or there's some woman who's 140 years old who's still, who's still waiting. I heard that a lot. I heard that a lot. I, I, uh, again, uh, many, many sermons, people would say, he's coming soon, he's coming soon. And, and here's the thing, what was said then is absolutely true. Jesus is coming soon. He really is. But I just don't know when. And we can't declare when that's going to happen. I'll come back to that in a moment here. But part of the reason why I felt this way is not just because I wanted to get my driver's license, Oh, one more thing. I remember in 1988, I had just started dating this beautiful, this beautiful, beautiful young woman who later became my wife. And, 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 I'm, and, and people were saying, if some of you remember, in 1988, some people said, he's coming back in 88. It's been 30 years ago. There's been a lot of misuse. There's been a lot of abuse of Jesus' return. But Jesus said, I'm coming back. And he's absolutely true. We don't know when. We don't know when. We can't know when. To assume or presume that he's coming is actually sinful because even Jesus at this time, he said, I I don't know. As I mentioned, one of the reasons why I felt that way is because there were also some things in my own life that weren't right. And and I was afraid that if he were to return, I didn't really know if I would make it. Didn't know if I would make it. Here's the thing, even though it frightened me, and maybe it's frightened you, Jesus did not say these things to frighten us. He did not say, okay, I'm going I'm to say some things to these disciples that will really shake them up and keep them awake at night. No, that's not why he said it. Rather, he said these things to inform us and to warn us and to keep our, and to help us keep our attention on eternity and not look simply at this life. Now, I have found, let me say that again, he wanted us to keep our attention not simply on the, on the temporal or the temporary, but on the eternal, on eternity. I have found that as, as a follower of Jesus Christ, one of my greatest objectives, and I'm, I'm going to assure you that one of your greatest objectives as a follower of Jesus Christ is to live with eternity in mind. That, that there's more than this life, that, this, that the, the, the totality of my experience is not going to be wrapped up in the years of my life. The thing is, this book, God's Word, 
repeatedly tells us, instructs us to be ready to pass into eternity at any moment. Let me say that again. This book repeatedly tells us and instructs us to be ready to pass into eternity at any moment. Any moment. To be on our guard as <coughs> the words that are used here, to be on our guard or to stand firm or to watch out. The Bible's teaching, even though there has been misuse, the Bible's teaching about Jesus' return are often ignored. The Bible's instruction about preparing for eternity, those instructions are frequently overlooked or discounted or dismissed. In some churches, in some churches, the warning to be ready to meet Jesus face to face at any moment is never heard. There are some churches that never speak that Jesus is going to return for his own. There are some churches that you will never hear a warning to be ready to meet him face to face if death comes our way, when death comes our way, when death comes our way. Isn't it interesting? Many people who wisely recognize their mortality can prepare a will and they can prepare a funeral I was reading several years ago about a woman who uh, took a woodworking class in, it was Minnesota, she took a woodworking class, she was a little bit older, just wanted to do something with a hobby, took a woodworking class and they each had to have a class project, their own class, you know, and some made bowls and some made, ca- she made her casket, that's a woman who's living with reality, she made a casket, which is kind of creepy, you know, where do you put that thing? In the garage, right? And it's, in the living room. I don't know where she put it. It's a great coffee table, right? Until that comes, I don't know. Some people wisely recognize their own mortality. And they plan. And they get that will. They determine who gets what and what is going to be done with the disposal of their body. That's very wise. I'm not putting that down. And yet, how many will do that and yet still fail to prepare for what lies beyond this life? You see, there's a difference. It's good to prepare for my death, but are we also prepared for what lies beyond our death? How many people do you know who give little or no thought about the condition of their soul? How many people do you know? How many people do you know, do you interact with, do you associate with, maybe even live with, How many people do you know who have not considered where the most important part of them and in fact the only eternal part of them will spend eternity? How many people view the totality of their life within the parameters of birth and death and fail to recognize that there's something beyond this life? You see, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It's appointed. It's appointed. Oh, by the way, you have an appointment. I don't know when it is. You don't know when it is, and you probably don't want to know when it is, but you have an appointment. In one way or another, through death or 
by a, a group of people who happened, who not happened, who, who are so blessed to be living at the time when Jesus returns, one or the other, as one guy said, it's either through the undertaker or the upper taker, one or the other, I'm going to see Jesus. And the question really is, while we can ask it and wonder it of others, the real question is, are you ready for your appointment? Again and again throughout this text, and you, you see those words, again and again, Jesus said, be ready, watch out, be on your guard, be alert. That's the theme that comes through again and again. Let me tell you, when we live with the anticipation, when we live not just with the anticipation, but with the expectation of seeing Jesus at any moment, let me tell you something. When we live that way, we will live differently. When you live with the realization that at any moment, from one moment to the next, I was talking with someone before the service, and he related to me how a young man, 25 years old, walked into a room, couldn't breathe, and died right there in his mother's bedroom. He didn't know that he had an appointment that day. I read about someone else a few weeks ago. Went to bed at night. He's dead the next morning, some point during the night. He didn't know he had an appointment that day. I had a friend who just not long ago was driving from one place to another during a holiday. Just after they got started, they were hit by a drunk driver. And in, in a moment, he slipped into eternity. He didn't know that he had an appointment that day. But if we live with the expectation that at any moment, at any moment, the very next breath I breathe may be in heaven, then we will live differently. We will live closer to Him. We will stay closer to Him. We will run from those things or those persons who could damage or destroy our walk with Him. When we know that we could suddenly be standing in His presence at any moment, we will not become overly enamored by what this world offers. <laughs> I'm living for that. Ah, just one more year. Just one more payment and it's all mine. Just one little bit and I got it. And oh, that's... We get so enamored by the things in this world. But if we're living with the realization that at any moment, <coughs> excuse me, that at any moment I could be in his presence, the things around me take on a different light, don't they? Because this is not the totality of my experience. It's so easy to think only within the parameters of this life. And when we know that He could come for us at any moment of any day, you see, you may never have lunch today because Jesus may return today. That's not a prediction. I'm not so foolish like some to say that He's going to come back and this is the time. But He might. You may never have that lunch. You may never get home today. He may return or you and I may die. But when we know that He could come for us at any time, we will not be overcome and we will not be overwhelmed by the evil in this world. Mm. Boy, it's so easy to turn on the news, open up the newspaper, hear it on the radio, observe it, hear about it. 
hear about the evil that is in our world, and it's so easy to become over. It can become easy to be overwhelmed by it. But when we know that this, not, this world, there's more than this world, then he gives us strength to make it through another day. When we know that he could come for us at any moment of any day, we will forgive those who hurt us, we will pray for those who don't yet know him, and we will tell them how they too can know him. See, one of the reasons why Jesus said what he did, why he repeatedly tells us and warns us to watch out, is not simply for ourselves, but for those around us. There are people around us who aren't ready. They're not ready. They're not ready. You can open up the newspaper on almost any given day, and, and I wonder, I wonder, only God knows, and I'm going to leave it to him. He's the ultimate judge, but I wonder if some of those people whose obits are in the paper, were they ready? Were they ready? Were they ready? You hear about these terrible disasters and, and, and a landslide takes a whole bunch of lives or a flood comes along or a fire happens and you wonder, were they ready? Did we tell them? Do they know? People, this world is not our final home. There's something more and there's something so much better. Listen, do not try to determine when Jesus is coming. Jesus himself said that. We are not supposed to know when he's coming. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something. This is going to be a little bit strong. Some of you may get a little bit upset. Fine, I'll take it. I can handle it. The next time somebody writes something, says something, posts something that indicates that within the next six months or a year or two years, it's going to happen, turn it off, close it, and walk away from it. Now, I warn you, it's going to happen. I've been here for a lot of years, and in this time, in, in the years that I've been here, there have been probably seven or eight or nine times when people said, he is returning, it's going to happen in this period. I don't care who it is. I don't care how well-respected they are. I am tired. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I am tired of people handing me books and, and saying, listen, you got to read this because they're saying that Jesus is coming or this person is the Antichrist. I've lived long enough. I remember in 1975, they told, they said Henry Kissinger is the Antichrist. He's not the Antichrist. He's still alive. Well, maybe he is. I don't know. No, he's not. We can't. We have to be so careful because every time that we do that, we lose credibility. How many people in our community? I remember the sign. There was a, on Roosevelt Street. There was a sign. Some Yahoo, some deceiver, put up a sign that said Jesus was coming on September something about five years ago. How many saw that? Did anybody else see that sign? You know what happens? The people in the world on the day after that, the people in our community the day after that, said, "Yeah, those Christians are a bunch of nuts." You lose credibility, so stop it. Don't pass it on. Don't say, you got to read this. This guy's the Antichrist. You don't know. Now, they might be. I don't know, but I know this. Even Satan doesn't know. Even Jesus, at least at this time, doesn't know. The angels in heaven don't know. Only the Father knows. But I know this. I don't know when he's coming, but I know this. I can be ready when he comes. That's the point. I'm going to be on the alert. And I don't know when he's coming, but I know that I can tell other people about him. I, I know that I can tell other people that Jesus is, is coming. Or he, he's either coming for you through death and he's going to take you to be with him, or he's going to come and he's going to gather his church. I don't know, but I believe it could happen soon. It might not happen for 100 years, but I know this. I want to be ready today. Today. Most important questions 
It's not when it's going to happen. It's not exactly even how. The big question is, are you ready? Are the people around you ready? About 1978, I'm in high school, and I, uh, I'm playing games with God. I won't tell you, not, not necessarily that I tell you exactly what the issue was, but I was playing games with God. I had a relationship with him, but I really wasn't serious, and I came home one day, some of you have heard this story, I came home that day, and it was a it was a summer day, and I came home, and it's about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I walked in the house, and we lived in the country. My mom's vehicle was there, but she wasn't. I walked in the house, and there was a pot of water boiling on the stove. She wasn't around. And... Uh, I thought, that's odd. Mom's always here when I come home. She's always making supper this time of day. The car's here. I yell, Mom, are you here? No answer. I walk outside, check in the barn. Mom, are you? She's not around. <sighs> I'm getting, getting a little bit concerned right about this time. I'm thinking, well, that's really odd. Mom's not around. and Can't find her, but the pot's about to boil away here. She's not around. That's odd. We had a neighbor lady that my mom had led to the Lord a few years before, very godly woman by this time, and she, uh, she was always, she was an invalid, so she never got out of her house. And, and I, she was always there. I called her up. You know, I'm just going to, hey, her name was Anna. I said, I called up and I'm going to say, hey, Anna, how are you doing? Find out some excuse to talk to her or something, you know, nice day, whatever. And she's always there. No answer. She's not there. Now I realize Jesus has come and I've been left behind. Just about two weeks before, I'd seen the movie uh, Thief in the Night. Some of you know that. It's just a terribly frightful movie. I'm thinking Jesus has, has come. and I, I'm, I'm not kidding on this. I, I, I think, okay, I know what's coming. Seven years of tribulation, it's going to be bad. And I've been left behind and I've got to make it through so that when Jesus returns, then I can go with him. And, and, and so, so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, uh, my dad's, the, uh, the spare pickup is in the shop and I'm going to load that with the tent and I'm going to get, get out of here. I'm going to find a cave up in the Black Hills and I got to live for seven. So I'm starting to stockpile food. I'm going through all this in my mind. And then I realized and it hits me. I thought, wait a minute. <clears throat> I have one brother who's three years older. I, 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 it hits me. I thought, wait a minute now. Um, if I was left behind, well, he sure, he's left behind because if I didn't make it, he's sure not going to make it. That's what I said to myself. And it hit me. I'm getting a pickup before he does. That's what I thought. (laughs) I go downstairs. I'm looking for a sleeping bag and candles, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> I come upstairs, and there my mom, she's walking, and she's been in the garden behind the windbreak getting some fresh beans to put in the boiling water. Probably to this day, my, my mom wonders why I threw my arms around her and kissed her so big right there. That I had another chance. Oh, you say, well, that's kind of funny and that's kind of silly. Well, you know what? It, really, that's reality, and that is going to be some people's reality because Jesus is going to return at some point because Jesus said he's going to return. He will return, and some people will be left behind. I will have to say that it was that day that I began to say, wait a minute, okay, let's have a little reevaluation here. Am I ready? Am I ready? And I can tell you with great honesty in the, in the months and in the year that followed, I did become ready. And from that day to this day, I know that if Jesus comes, I'm going with him. From that day to this day, I've not lived it perfectly. I'm not going to say that. But I do know this, that from that day to this day, if this heart stops beating and this body shuts down in that, from one moment to the next, I'm going to be in his presence. And there's a tremendous amount of comfort in that. This morning, the question that I have for you is quite simply, are you ready? I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready. In the closing moments of this service, and these are some very, very important moments, in the closing moments of this service, we're not going to pray for someone else's need or an awareness that we have or anybody's even physical healing. We're going to pray for you. I just want to simply pray for that you would be ready in your heart. Would you, do, would you all do this, please? Would you all stand with me? Lana's going to come, and we're just going to play something very, very quietly. We'll not have a, a large close, but I... I want to pray for you. I'm going to close in prayer, but in this prayer, and as always, these altars will be open. Uh, if you want to come up and pray, spend some time with the Lord and, leave, be, and have that assurance, you can have that assurance before you leave this place. Would you just right now where you're standing, would you just make an altar right there? And say, Lord, I want to be ready. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, in our time together, I believe that you have spoken to us. And it is my prayer that your warning would be heeded. Again and again, Lord, you said, be on your guard, be alert, keep watch. From the beginning of that discourse to the very end, the theme was, be ready. I'm coming back. Be ready. Regardless of what comes, be ready. When the persecution comes, be ready. When the the earthquake comes and the famine comes, be ready. When those who will persecute you come, be ready. Lord, my prayer for myself and for every person here within the sound of my voice and perhaps even beyond is that we would be ready. That we would be ready. So Lord, in the very closing moments, right where people are standing, I pray that they would make an altar to you and say, Lord Jesus, come in. Do a scan of my heart. If there is anything in me that would not, that would make me not ready, I surrender it to you. Forgive me of those sins. Help me to walk away from it, Lord. I repent of it. And Lord, help me to tell the people around me that they too can be ready. There really is only one important question when it comes to eternity and that is not when it will happen or even how I will come to see you face to face 
What is important is, am I ready? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for our time together today, for speaking to people, for ministering to people, for healing, for delivering. Thank you for encouraging and instructing. Thank you for the fellowship that we share. But I thank you that through you, through your death on the cross and your resurrection from the dead, we can be ready to see you face to face. Someday all of this will be just a memory. Someday all of the pain and the suffering and the discouragement of this world will be over. Someday, Lord, there will be justice in its truest form. Until then, may we be found trusting you and serving you. I ask your blessing upon us as we go or as we gather around these altars, as we fellowship together. We praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. If you believe it, say amen. I believe you believe it. God bless you this morning.